Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. 1 Timothy chapter 1. See, I gave you the chapter this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I want to talk about uh, waging the good warfare. Waging the good warfare. Let's, um, let's read verses 18 through 20, and then we'll back up a little bit. Paul says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power and authority that comes with your word. This is not ink on pages. It is not digital text. It is the living, breathing, powerful word that will live for all of eternity. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that in this place you would glorify the name of Jesus that this seed of the kingdom that Jesus said is good seed, that it would find good soil this morning to take root in and that it would grow up to bear fruit to bring you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Let's back up to verses three and four really quick and set the stage. Paul bookends um, the first chapter here in a, in a very interesting way. The Ephesian church is a is a budding church. When Paul writes this to Timothy in 1 Timothy, it's an early church. Paul has sent Timothy. Ephesus is a, uh, it, it's a, it's a ancient day New York. It is a metropolitan of a city. It's a coastal city. It's a place where trade would come in both uh, from the sea and both on the shore. It's a booming, budding city, but they're full of idolatry. They're full of witchcraft. They're full of hatred. If you remember back to Acts, I think it's 19, Paul, uh, it, Luke writes about Paul's um, time in Ephesus and um, where we get the scripture that we use for prayer cloths actually comes from Acts 19, where it says that in that city, in Ephesus, when Paul was there, mighty miracles were done through Paul so that he tore off pieces of his garment and they were sent to people and they were healed. So not just Paul graduated from normal miracles into mighty miracles in Ephesus. This is a, a booming, affluent city that Christ has planted a church in, in the middle of darkness, in the middle of evil, in the middle of wickedness, in the middle of witchcraft and this church is booming. It's not, it's not barely hanging on. It's not barely surviving, but there are some things that the apostle wants to address. So back in verse three and four, Paul says, he opens up his letter to Timothy by saying, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So Paul says there is a stewardship that's given not only to Timothy but to the church. Paul is writing to Timothy so that as the head of the church, as the pastor of the church in Ephesus, the uh, soon-to-be apostle of the church in Ephesus, that 
Timothy can relay what Paul is saying. Actually, the word charge there is really interesting. It means to, it means to take what someone else says and to pass it along. So Paul says, I want you to charge them, but the charge actually comes from me and it came from Jesus. So Paul says, give them this information. There are things that have slipped into the church. He says that they have taught different doctrines and devoted themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Not all of the church, but some. And what has it done? It has derailed the direction that the church was supposed to head. It has derailed the direction. The word for devote here is really interesting. It, it actually doesn't mean what you think it would mean. When we think of devote, we think of giving everything to something. If I, was, if I devote my life to my wife, which I have, I, I give everything to her. I, I lay down everything else and I devote myself to her. But the word the apostle uses for devote here doesn't mean that. It actually means to allow to come near. To allow to come near. One of the definitions actually speaks of giving harbor for a ship that needs a place to park. What the apostle is saying is that these people haven't necessarily gone full in, head first into the culture of Ephesus, but what they have done is they've allowed stuff to come close. And in allowing that stuff to come close, it has actually derailed their assignment. It's actually caused them to lose sight of what they were supposed to keep their eyes on. The book of Hebrews talks about looking unto Jesus, laying aside every weight and every sin that so easily besets us and looking unto Jesus, fixing our eyes on him. Why? Because our attention causes us to head in a certain direction. And the church at Ephesus, they, they weren't participating in the brothels in the middle of the street, which Ephesus was known for. They weren't, they weren't giving dedication to the goddess Artemis in the temple. They weren't doing that, but what they were doing is they were allowing culture to creep in and to influence the way that they saw their mission. They had a mission. Church, we have a mission. And it's not that we're separate from culture because, ooh, they're gross and we don't want a part of that. We're actually called to be the leaven inside of culture that causes the culture to be changed. But if we are not careful, the closeness of us allowing culture to come in will actually influence our vision for what he's called us to do. He's called us to walk a certain path in a certain way, and it's, the, it's allowing those things to come too close. It's, it's not that I have to give myself over to them, but I actually just allow them to come too close that they start to influence me. So Paul opens up his letter with this. We're gonna skip the middle of the letter. Paul does a lot of exhorting. He's exhorting Timothy to, to, to uh, run the race that he's been called to run. And we pick it up in verse 18, and this is the end of the first chapter. They, of course, didn't have chapters, but this is the end of Paul's thought here. So he begins by saying, stuff has snuck in and has caused you to lose vision and caused you to lose direction. And then in verse 18, Paul says, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. By the prophecies previously made about you, that you may wage the good warfare. Paul, Paul gives an interesting insight here into spiritual warfare. Can, can I just be real for a minute? When we talk about spiritual warfare, our, our Pentecostalism starts to rise up. And we think spiritual warfare always means grab the oil, grab some witnesses, get the tongues ready, 
get the sackcloth and ashes, go into a fast. And I love that. And, and sometimes that's absolutely necessary for spiritual warfare. Sometimes the Holy Spirit absolutely calls us to enter into that kind of spiritual warfare. But here the apostle says to correct the influence that's come in, this is the spiritual warfare that you're supposed to wage. It is that in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you wage the good warfare. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying that there is a direction that has been spoken over your life. There is a thing that God has called you to do. If you're breathing, there's a thing God's called you to do. This isn't a message for the youth. This isn't a message for the middle-aged folks. This is for everyone breathing, that there is an assignment that the Lord has called us to run, and he has spoken over our lives, prophetically spoken over our lives. That doesn't mean you were called out in a service and told to stand up, and they read your mother's maiden name and told you your address and then prophesied. That means that he has, he has foretold over your life that there are things that are going to take place, that there are things that you're assigned to complete for him, that there is a mission that you're assigned to run for him. And it is by remembering these prophetic decrees of the Lord over my life that I actually wage good warfare. I actually enter into warfare by pushing aside the distractions of life and remembering exactly who he's made me to be. Exactly what he's called me to be. Because this is what will happen. This is what will happen. I have a vision and a mission for my life, but if my eyes get distracted, I'll stop running the race he's called me to run. I'll stop running in the direction he's called me to run. And here's what Paul said. I think it's in Corinthians. We end up shadow boxing darkness instead of running the race and trusting that Jesus is enough. Yes, there is a time when I've got to go in and I've got to pray and I've got to bind and I've got to loose and I've got to get rid of the stuff that's making its way into my life. I've got to break the strongholds that are trying to have influence. But Paul says the good warfare here, it's actually ran by just staying on the path that he's called me to stay on. That just staying on the path when sickness comes and disease shows up and when infirmity starts to make its way into my family, I'm just going to stay on the path. I'm just going to remember the prophetic word that he's spoken over me. I'm going to remember that he who promised is faithful. That he's not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness. That I'm not going to waste my energy and my time fighting every little distraction that comes along the way. Because by doing that, I'm exhausted and I take my eyes off of him. I'm actually just going to stand and remember who he's called me to be. Church, if you haven't been paying attention in the last three or four or five years, there are many distractions coming this way. Many distractions coming this way. You can get hung up in politics. You can get hung up in COVID. You can get hung up in the world. You can get hung up in what's happening to the apostle. But I want to tell you that the good warfare for this house is remembering who he's called us to be. Remembering what he's assigned over us. Remembering that he is still the God who called them to come here to change the culture. He didn't call them to come here to give them an end that is not good and profitable. It is remembering that God said we're going to be a church that touches the world and wrecks the region for the glory of Jesus Christ that I don't have to shadow box all the stuff coming my way because his promise is enough his promise is enough what he's spoken over the house what he's spoken over your life it's enough it's enough 
but I can become so distracted that I lose sight of staying on the path towards the promise. I can become so distracted. It'll happen without me realizing it. Because what happens is, is I believe I'm doing the right thing in giving all of my attention to push away the thing that has come against me. When really Jesus is saying, come and sit at my feet and let my promise be enough. We sang about laying our crowns down at his feet this morning. I thought about Mary and he said, Martha, you are troubled and anxious about much, but Mary has found the one thing needed and it's to sit at my feet. And it will not be taken from her. It will not be taken from her. Good warfare in the kingdom sometimes looks like fasting and praying and interceding. And sometimes it looks like sitting at Jesus' feet. And just trusting who he's made us to be. Trusting that he is faithful. Trusting that he will complete everything that he has begun. That he who has begun the good work doesn't leave it incomplete. That he's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. That he will actually do what he said he would do. But I can become distracted by actually trying to fight the things that are coming against me. When Paul says, this charge I entrust to you, the word for entrust there, it actually means to set a table before someone. Paul says, the, the, the thing that I am entrusting to you, it's actually nourishment. It's good. It's profitable. I'm, I'm not entrusting to you some busybody work. I'm entrusting to you something that will nourish you and feed you and cause you to gain strength. And the word, word for wage here, I love this. It does mean to fight. When Paul says that you may wage the good warfare, the word for wage, it does mean to fight or to do military duty, or to be on active service, or to be a soldier. But the main definition is to make a military expedition. That's a journey that has a purpose at the end. Paul says, this is waging warfare in the kingdom. It's to set your feet on the journey. And to know that there is a purpose at the end. To set your feet on the journey, and to refuse to be moved off the path that he sets you on. And this is what warfare looks like in the kingdom. Verse 19, Paul says, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. So Paul says, set your feet on the journey, have a good conscience and cling to your faith. Take possession of the faith that says he'll finish it. But he says, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. The word to reject here is, is, is what you think it is. It's to push away, to repel, to, to push off of you. What's, what's Paul saying? By rejecting what? By rejecting keeping the prophecies in mind. By rejecting keeping what he has said in mind. Some have pushed away what he said, and in doing so, they've actually made shipwreck of their own faith. They have made shipwreck of their faith. Paul did not say circumstances made shipwreck of their faith. Hear this, Paul did not say that Satan made shipwreck of their faith. He does not have the authority to make shipwreck of your faith. Only you have the authority to make shipwreck of your faith. The enemy cannot make shipwreck of your faith. Lack cannot make shipwreck of your faith. Sickness and disease will not make shipwreck of your faith. If your faith goes shipwreck, it's because you allowed it to go shipwreck. By pushing away the promises that he's spoken over you, 
by pushing away what he said. There's two words that make up the word shipwreck. It's, it's a ship, but it's also to navigate, to lead, and to guide. By pushing away the guiding of the promises of the Lord. By pushing away the navigation of the promises of the Lord. How many of you have GPS? Or a phone. If you have a phone, you have GPS. How, how many times do you plug in the address and it gives you the directions and you say, no, never mind. I don't think that's right. I'll do it my own way. We don't do that. We trust that the navigation will get us to the destination that we're intended to reach. We trust that the navigation of a computer that fits in my pocket that I sit on is going to give me the proper direction to reach the destination that I'm supposed to get to. And Paul says that by pushing away the navigation of his promises, his promises aren't just something to give you hope. They actually navigate you from where you are to where you need to be. When he speaks a promise, it actually creates life. Every time he speaks, it creates. It's what he did in the beginning, and it's what he does today. When he speaks a promise over my life, it actually creates a path for me to get from where I'm at to where I need to be. Well, Lord, I don't see how I'm supposed to get there. That's why I'm supposed to trust his navigation, because I don't understand the path. But if I push away his navigation, I'll certainly lead myself into shipwreck. I'll certainly lead myself into shipwreck. I have the ability to reject what he's spoken. He has given me the authority to reject what he has spoken. That's how much he trusts me. That's how much he loves us. That we can actually push away what he's spoken over our lives. But he promises it'll lead to shipwreck. But trusting in him will get me to where I'm supposed to be. Paul says, he finishes up and he says, among whom are Harmenius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. In 2 Timothy, we get um, a better insight about who these folks are. And they are folks who, like at the beginning of the letter that Paul addresses that we read, verses three and four, they are folks who have allowed things to come in and distract them. They have allowed stuff to come in and distract them. These are, not, these are not sinners that Paul said were in the city who have been opposing me from day one. Paul says these folks have made shipwreck of their faith. They were in the church. They were in the house. They were doing the work of the Lord. They were fulfilling the service of the king. But they pushed away the promises and they allowed to come near distractions. And in doing that, they made shipwreck of their faith. Their faith became shipwrecked. Paul knew something about shipwreck. When he's writing this to Timothy, he's not writing it as some, as some uh, mental picture just because it looks cool. Paul knew something about shipwreck. Paul knew that shipwreck was devastating. That it, was, that it was brutal, that it felt hopeless and helpless. And Paul chooses this to be the language. This is the language that Paul uses. Remember, Paul had been shipwrecked multiple times, stranded and left for dead, he said. I think in his letter to Corinth, Paul knew what shipwreck was like, and he knew that floating out in the water when all hope and help was seemingly gone, it was the most helpless feeling he could imagine. Paul doesn't compare it to the lashes that he took. 
He doesn't compare it to the stoning that he took, being thrown over a cliff and then resurrected and coming back in and being persecuted again. Paul compares it to shipwreck because shipwreck feels helpless. It feels hopeless. It feels like there is no way you can be rescued out of where you're at. And Paul said, this is the emotion that is invoked when you push away his navigating presence and his navigating promises and you instead to invite in distractions and become busy trying to do work to attain what he said you're supposed to attain. The kingdom is never obtained through work, but the kingdom is also not absent of work. It's one of the great mysteries of the kingdom. The kingdom is acquired by believing. Faith enters us into the promises that he's spoken over us. Faith enters us into the navigating presence that takes us into our future. Stand with me this morning. Of is always joy. What are the fruits of the spirit? Love, joy, peace. But we've, we've, clung to, we've clung to love and said it has to look and fit in a certain box and abandon joy. We've abandoned joy as a church. And no wonder people don't want a part of it. No wonder people don't want a part of it. I don't want to hang out with a bunch of sad people either. I love you guys. Verse 19, he says, we have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. This joyful expectation, it anchors our soul, not our spirit. It anchors our soul. Our emotions are anchored by the joyful expectation of the good that the Lord is going to perform. Our mind that is racing in the middle of the night thinking, how am I going to pay the bills? Why are my kids acting like a bunch of lunatics? Why is that boss a crazy person? I'm going to fight that person at work if they don't leave me alone. Lord, get me out of that place. Our mind is anchored by the joyful expectation that he is going to perform everything that he promised. It's anchored in that hope, in that truth. And that anchor is sure and steadfast. Those words almost mean the same thing. It is moving forward and it cannot be moved off of that path. Our mind, our will, and our emotions, our emotions are anchored. And this word for anchor, I'm almost finished. This word for anchor is so interesting. So the, the word for anchor means exactly what you think it means. It's, it's just an anchor. But the root word is very interesting. The root word for anchor here is the same root word used in Ephesians 2, where it says, you who were once afar off have been drawn nigh by the blood of Christ. And, and the root word is only used actually one other time in Luke 2.28. It says, then he took him up in his arms. He took him up in his arms. So the root word for anchor here is always referencing 
taking up in arms. It's, it's the inner angle of a bent arm. It's to take up in arms. So the joyful expectation of good anchors our soul and that anchor is him picking us up in his arms, wrapping us up in his arms, holding us in his arms. It's not the, and I love this, but it's not the weeping at the altar that is the anchor for my soul. It's not the running to the apostle and saying, please counsel me that anchors my soul. It's the joyful expectation that he is the one who upholds everything that he's ever spoken, that he is the only one who is able to perform it, that he is the only one who's able to say yes and amen to every promise, that he is the only one who can say no to everything that the enemy's ever spoken, that he is the only one and he has wrapped me in his arms and anchored me in this hope if I'll enter into joyful expectation. And in that joyful expectation, my mind, my will, my emotions, they cannot be moved. They are solid. They're steadfast. They're immovable. They're unshakable in this hope. In this hope. I don't have to be moved. I can be joyful and unmoved in this hope. I don't have to live a life of just saying, I'm going to choose to be happy despite what the circumstance says. No, that's, that's, that's great, but that's what the world does. The world's self-help books say, choose to be happy regardless of what your situation says. The Lord says, I will make you happy. I will cause you to be happy in the middle of the valley of the giants. I will cause you to be happy. Stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening today to The Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.